uh, our scripture reading for today is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Uh, so if you want to open up your Bibles there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some at the ends of the pews uh, that you can use. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, go ahead and take that home with you as a gift from us. Uh, so it's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you had heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You know, after uh, hearing that passage, I, I think it's fitting if we would just kneel for a second, uh, if you're comfortable doing so or able to kneel. Um, why don't we come before God and just ask Him to meet us uh, after we've heard a little bit, even just now, of who His Son is and what He's done. I'll lead us in silent prayer for a second. Uh, Father, first, we just want to still our minds and our hearts before you. Now, God, we want to praise you. We want to praise you that you, for who you are, maybe we've seen a particular aspect of your character this past week or month. You've You've been faithful uh, to sustain us through suffering or you've been super generous in the blessings you've been pouring out on our lives. Whatever it is we've come to know of you, we just want to praise you for. And God, you want us to know you. You want us to be shaped by your words in the scripture. So I, I just pray that, God, we would. So, so right now, each one of us just come before you and we, we ask that you speak to us through your scriptures that, that there might be something that you would say to us out of your word that would um, either in a small way or a massive way or a mighty way or a deep way change who we are this morning. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you ran towards us. You, your son came to earth and that he, God, he is as he is described in this passage. He, he's just, he's mighty and he's merciful. He, he's, he's sovereign and, and he's a sufficient suffering savior. God, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> God, would you, would you captivate our minds and our, our hearts, our lives this morning by 
who he is, God? Would our, would our whole lives begin to revolve around who he is and what he's done? And would we be people who reflect him in our lives? We, we, all, we, we just want to be about him. Uh, so help, uh, help us find life in knowing and living for your son, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This passage is kind of the core of the letter to the church in Colossae. It, you know, it's this church that's struggling to figure out life. They're probably three to five years old. Paul's never been there, but he knows the guys who planted the church, and, and he's writing through them, and he's saying, man, man, well, what I want most for you is that you would keep Christ central in your lives, that he'd be supreme, he'd be amazing. And in a sense, uh, like we revolve around the sun, that, that each of our lives would revolve around the sun, that we would reflect him like the moon does in everything we do, that there'd be that uh, Copernican shift in our lives where we realize, man, it doesn't revolve around the earth, revolve around me, but, but we revolve around him. He's mighty, and he's majestic, and he's, he's so merciful. I love the little phrase in the middle of this hymn. That's probably what this is. It's a, a hymn that Paul has taken. He's kind of uh, weaved in some new themes. He's probably taken out some themes, but it's probably a hymn that the early church is singing about who Jesus is. And right in the middle, right in the middle, there's this little phrase that says, and he, Jesus, holds all things together. He holds it together. Uh, he holds uh, the galaxies and the, and the stars and the sun and planets and, and little electrons and even our emotions. He holds it all together. When it, when it feels like it's falling apart, Jesus is holding you together. He's holding it all together until he returns to make it all right. But it really starts to fall apart when we think we have to be this Savior, this King. When we think, oh, I've got to control my life, I've got to hold it together, I've got to get this in place and that in place, I've got to get that job and have my kid act this way or get that kid or get that spouse. And ah, if I could just get it. And we try and be this, uh, this, this God, this Savior, this mighty one that we already have. And the, the tighter we squeeze, the, the sand just pours through our fingers and, and it all falls apart. When we think, I've got to be that king that god or man doesn't it fall apart when we think i am i am pretty awesome right i am that king i am that god you ought to serve me right like uh, uh life revolves around me and, and life gets so myopic and so self-centered and all that just begins to fall apart as well as we stomp on people relationships crumble and nothing goes the way that mighty us should have it go This letter says, man, keep him central. He is great, he's mighty, he's merciful, he's sovereign, he's king, and he's kind. In suffering, don't jettison him. Keep him the center of your life. In success, and it's all going amazingly, don't jettison him. Keep him central. Let our lives revolve around him as everything does the sun. Let our lives reflect him as the moon. So all we're going to do, we're going to go through this passage. It's, there's some confusing stuff in here. It's a little tangly, and we're going to unpack each uh, of these phrases and say, how great is our God, Jesus? All right, so the, 
Let me read it along uh, just that first half because the, the, it kind of ha- functions in halves. And, and, and just listen to the words again. They're, they're tight, they're tangly, and, and just listen to them and try and make sense as we go through it, and then we will together. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The, the first uh, little phrase that describes who Jesus is, it says, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, the God we've not seen, the Father whose spirit in heaven, he is the image the, uh, of the invisible God where Moses says, hey, I want to see God, and God, God kind of passes back as Moses turns his back and, 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 and even too much for Moses to handle. Here, here God says, I want you to see me, Jesus. I'm the, the image of the invisible God, the one we've not seen. Now we've seen God himself, fully God, as verse 19 will explain. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fully God, absolutely God, Jesus, who is man and God in one, God himself, our Lord and Savior. Uh, Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3, I'll put it this way, that in Jesus we have the glory of our God. He's the exact representation of our God exact to the T, very substance. Uh, uh, John 1.18 will say it this way. You've not seen God, yet God has sent God whom you've now seen, right? This passage is all about Jesus who's come to earth and Jesus himself is God. There's this uh, crazy moments in Jesus' life. He's walking the earth. People are realizing, wow, this isn't just some man. And they run to him. They start to worship him. And he, you know, he's standing there, and they're worshiping him. And here's what he doesn't say. Whoa, 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 stop, stop. That worship is for God only. He, in a sense, says, bring it on. <laughs> when Peter and Paul, Jesus' followers, uh, right after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, when, when they're walking around, people think they're amazing, too. They start to worship him. And, and Peter and Paul, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Worship is for God alone. And Jesus says, bring it on. Why? Because he, Jesus, is God. Uh, Jesus calls himself by God's name. He's standing before this group of uh, Jewish leaders, and he says, hey, you know, when Moses uh, uh, said, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, I am is sending you. And that becomes uh, ego, Amy. That that becomes uh, the name of God, I am. Jesus comes and he says, hey, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says he takes the very name of God on for himself he is God he says in John chapter 6 I and the father are one if you've seen me you've seen the father you've seen me you've seen the father why what's he saying he's saying I am God Jesus says he's sinless he lives his whole life without sin perfect you know me I know you you know yourself that's not normal that's a God thing 
Uh, he, he does miracles. He feeds 5,000. He takes Lazarus. He raises him from the dead. He forgives sins. Only God can forgive sins because God is the one who is wronged and has that right. He is God. He's worshipped. He takes the very name of God. He says, I and the Father are one. He's sinless. He does miracles. He forgives sins. Hebrew says he's the exact representation. Here, Paul says in Colossians, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him. He is God. He's a sufficient Savior then as God. He's the one who is wronged and he's perfect without sin so he can forgive our sin. But that's actually not even what's uh, being highlighted in this first phrase is he's the image of God. What's being highlighted there? He's the image of the invisible God. The one we've not seen, he now reveals. Jesus is God. He walks among us. So here's what that means. When, when you say, man, I wonder how God would treat this person we can read the gospels and, and see when jesus interacts with the most sinful of sinners the most outcasts of prostitutes right uh, giving her life away this way or that way sexually he runs towards her embraces her when everyone else is shaming her and casting her out jesus says this is how god treats you when Jesus is confronted by these legalists who are like, you need to be good enough to be loved by God. He, man, he literally throws tables up in the air and says, you whitewashed tombs, oh, woe to you. If we want to know how God interacts with others, how God, who he is, how holy he is, how mighty he is, and yet how humble he is and kind he is and how merciful he is, we look right at Jesus it's one of the reasons why I continually just read the Gospels. Because I want to see who my God is in the person of Christ, that I'd fall more in love with him, I'd serve him more, I'd see how he interacts, what he thinks, what he does, what he doesn't do, and I'd say, oh, Lord, shape me by you. Because here's what happens. You see Jesus' life and you say, wow, oh, my, that is God. And then you say, oh, my God, I am not like you. I need your grace. I need your help. I need a Savior like you are, Jesus, my God. He's the image of the invisible God. Uh, he's also the firstborn of all creation. Uh, that's a little tangly phrase. Firstborn of I thought uh, Jesus was eternal, right? Uh, so Paul's going to now explain what that firstborn, that he actually never did have a beginning, but he did create all things. Look what he says. He's the firstborn of all creation. And then he says, for, explanatory, gar in, uh, in uh, Greek, for by him all things were created. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, right? So uh, the firstborn is this idea of preeminence that actually, uh, Paul is going to explain, he created all things, it, the things high in the heavens or the things down here and even below the earth, the things you can see visible and the things invisible. He even created all the authorities. You think that king has might. You think that president has might. He is over and above and more mighty. He created them. He's over them. They're nothing in a sense to him, as Isaiah would say, little grasshoppers before his might and power and supremacy. He created all things. He's over all things. Everything was created through him. He is not created, but he is the creator. He is our God. And everything's created for him as well. And then we have that phrase, and he holds all things together. 
Uh, I'm so glad that's true. <laughs> I'm so glad it's true that he's holding my life right now. I'm so glad it's true that he's holding my daughter right now. I'm so glad it's true that he's holding my wife and my daughter who in Kenya left this morning for two weeks on a mission trip. And the first thought I have is, oh my gosh, I hope they'll be okay. I can never handle my life on my own. And man, I love them. But I'm so glad my God is holding them. He holds all things together. He created all things. And he is the head of the body, his church. He's the creator, but he's also the head, the, the director and the sustainer of his new creation that he's bringing about in his church as we bring the kingdom, the good news of the gospel here, as we wait for uh, Jesus to return and make all things new. He's not just head of the church, but he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have supremacy, that he rose himself from the dead. He was dead, but now alive by the power of the Spirit, that he would have supremacy in everything, in life, in death, in the church, in everything high and everything low, in, in this authority or that authority he's preeminent that's who our God is uh, culturally then this idea of firstborn is that just just that a preeminence it's not that uh, it's not highlighting the idea that you're born or not born but it's highlighting the idea that well you're the best <laughs> It's like the firstborn son of Abraham, right? All these different, uh, you read through the uh, Old Testament, you just get this idea that's uh, now in the culture in Jesus' times of, of, of the number one son. He's the heir of all things. He is first. And that means you're not, and I'm not. And this person or that person or he or she, they are not king, they are not savior and will always be insufficient compared to our real savior and king Jesus. So in sum, uh, Paul will kind of close up this part about who Jesus is in verses 19 and 20. And he says in sum, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. And when we step back at a 30,000 foot view over all creation, what we see about our Savior, Jesus, who is preeminent, who's number one, who's the heir, who's, who's God himself, what we see is because of who he is, he can do what no one and nothing else can do. He can bring reconciliation. He can bring resolution out of this dissonance. And ever heard of a dissonant chord? A dissonant chord, right? I played a lot of trumpet. I played a lot of trumpet. And, uh, I played in the jazz band, but then also played in the symphonic band, and, and uh, we were heading in my senior year into this one performance, and our, our uh, uh, conductor, he said, I'm gonna, we're going to play this song by Brahms, and it's really slow, and you're going to hate it at first. And he was right. We all hated it, because it had all, it was like whole note after whole note. It was like, <laughs> and it had all these dissonant chords. And you, you hear them, and, 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 and there's like some beauty in them, but there's like this discord in them. And, and then they resolve in these consonants chords, and, and where, where this grating feeling resolves, you go, ah. And, and he was right. We were doing this, and I was hating it. It was the night before the performance. We're doing one last rehearsal. He had doubled them up morning and night. And so we're, we're a pretty good band, and, and we're, 
we're, we're like hitting it. And, and then, then we hit this, this resonance. And the consonant chord comes together. And I'll never forget it. I, I got little goosebumps every time I think about it. The conductor drops his baton. And he goes, did you feel it? And we all were like, yes! Because it, we felt it. The chord came together in resolution. And we were like, oh, man, that's amazing. And look, we can look all over our world right now. We see the brokenness and the dissonance in, in relationships and in politics and in education. And it's just grating on itself. Yet in the middle of all that, there's some beauty of the way things ought to or could be. And then Jesus says, look, I am king and I'm coming back and it's all gonna come together in resolution and we'll all go, oh man, it's what we've been waiting for. But then he hones in right here for what he's done in your life and in my life. This mighty Savior who is so, so merciful to you and to me individually. Who he is makes us who we are. That's right where Paul goes next. And, and I, I want, as I'm going to read the next couple of verses, I want you to listen for what has he done, how has he done it, and why has he done it. All right, what has Jesus done in your life and my life if you've trusted in him, if you've received his gift? What has he done? Uh, how has he done it and why has he done it? Just, just listen for these things as I read these verses 21 to 23. And you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. What has Jesus done? What has Jesus done? We see it in verse 21. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. He's reconciled. He's restored or brought resolution or redemption. What, uh, these, are, these are relational terms. He has reconciled uh, God and man, God and woman, God and humanity. He has brought together those who were once at enmity with each other. He's reconciled us, giving us relationship with the living God. How has he done this? By his death. Uh, earlier we read how he brought about this reconciliation by the blood of his cross. By his death, he has brought reconciliation between God and us. God and you, God and me. Why the death? Why that payment? Why that wage? Why does that bring reconciliation? I, I, I thought back to, uh, you know, there's this Dr. Seuss book where they, the kids are left home alone. They break this lamp. They blame it on this... Uh, this crow that flew in the window and obviously the mom is like yeah right you know and it didn't do that and but they're trying to get out of the payment of, of paying for the broken lamp and and then i thought actually that did happen to me a friend of mine invited us to stay at their condo while they weren't there with our family that's probably a bad move at that time because our kids were really little and very rambunctious and so we went to this very nice condo and Leo is playing, he's running around. I'm, I'm like literally chasing him. Stop, slow down, look, this place is so nice, you know. And so, uh, of course, I'm going, then I'm cooking, and, and Leo knocks over the Kate Spade blue and white lamp. 
Now that's an expensive lamp. $600. I didn't know that at first. I, I, I hear it hit the ground. It shatters. And I think, oh, dang, he broke a lamp. I guess we'll have to buy a new one. I go over, look at the bottom of it. Oh, Kate Spade, okay, I can look that up. Look it up, $600. (laughs) So I call the guy and say, hey, look, (laughs) we broke your lamp. A little bit of discord, you know, a little bit of tension, but he's a generous, wonderful guy, right? He's like, hey, okay, don't worry about it. And I, I said, hey, look, I sent, I, we paid it. We paid for it. It's on the way uh, to your house. Because when there's discord in relationship, when there's reconciliation that needs to be had, uh, there's a gap, there's a wage, there's a payment that needs to occur because one has wronged another. In this case, the lamp was broken, right? So I say, I'll pay for that. It's on the way. And then he actually says, cancel it. Hey, cancel it. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so I'm like, you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm sure. I'm like, okay, great. I literally, I run right to the internet again, and I contact him, make it, and and then the the, uh, lamp goes away. But here's what happened. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. He just absorbed it for me. He'll buy it. He'll pay for it. And he did. And it's like unbelievable. That's exactly what's occurred here. We have wronged our God, right? The wages of sin is death. We have said, forget you. Notice how the the passage describes us. We are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Every one of us had turned each of us to our own way, saying, just like Adam and Eve did, forget you, God. I'll live on my own. I'll find life in other places. I'll do as I please. And the wages of sin is death. He says, in a sense, he says, fine, go do it. But then Jesus comes and he says, I'll restore that relationship. I'll pay that wage. Remember, Jesus is God. He's absolutely perfect. He he didn't break any lamp. He owes nothing. So he can throw the cash down and say, I'll pay for him. I'll pay for her. I'll draw them in. I'll pay the wage. That's what God has done cosmically through Jesus' blood on the cross. What has he done? He's reconciled us to God. How has he done it? Through his death. The blood paid for us on the cross. He paid our penalty that we could be restored in relationship. Why has he done this? Second half of 22. By his death, in order to, purpose statement, present you holy and blameless above reproach before him that we could come to him and be embraced as holy and blameless pure loved received known fully and loved fully holy and blameless this is the good news of the gospel all jesus has done for us to bring us back to make us sons and daughters see This is a relational story from start to finish in the scriptures. Let's make this God and let's let's make this us. We're created for a relationship with the living God. But we see it in Adam and Eve. We see it in our own lives. We we say, no, I'll I'll, I'll run and go my own way. It's, It's as if your daughter had left for school in the sixth grade and as she was walking out, she said, forget you. I never want to come home again. And then she comes back. She's like, you're the meanest. You're the worst. And then she comes back after school and just walks in the door, says, hey, dad. Like there's something needs to be done there. There, there, You you harmed me, you hurt me. We need to reconcile. We need to make things up. Uh, We were made in relationship with the living God, but then we said, forget you and ran off. There was a wage to be paid. 
And Jesus says, I'll pay that wage. He, he, he pays for our sin on the cross with his death. No payment to make of his own. Substitutes himself for you and for me. So that what? We could be blameless and pure, no longer alienated, but welcomed in. As John 1.12 would say, to those who received Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Back in restored relationship that can never be broken. Because we didn't earn it, so we can't lose it. <laughs> he gifted it to us in Christ, and we receive it. It gets even crazier, right? This relationship then becomes vibrant as we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We get to know Jesus and rotate our lives around him and, and reflect him in all we do in this relationship with the living God. And then uh, God says he even, in a sense, he seats us with him in the heavenly realms, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Like, we're made, uh, we're in Christ. Like, uh, when God looks at us, he sees his son. He says, you are just like my son, holy and blameless. Come on in. Loved and embraced never to be broken. Look, if this is your Jesus, if this is your Jesus, you wouldn't be so lonely. If this is your Jesus, everything he is makes us who we are. If this is your Jesus, you would not be so lonely. You'd not be so lonely. Why? Because first we would realize, man, I have a relationship with the living God. In my suffering, my success, I have a relationship with him. But then also in our relationships, what would we do? We'd be able to risk with intimacy and, and embrace. We, we would say, oh man, my friend has wronged me again, but I'll, I will extend forgiveness. I won't sever the friendship. Why? That we might actually even go deeper in friendship together. Or, or we might think, oh man, it's just so much easier to stay on, online relationally and not go into any real relationships. Why? Because I'm scared of getting into real relationship. But see, this one relationship uh, impacts everything about our lives. Every relationship, every way we spend our money, every reason we go to work every aspect of who we are transformed you wouldn't be so lonely if this were your Jesus you and I we wouldn't be so bored if this was our Jesus looking for purpose in lesser things right like man if I just had greater purpose in my job or my relationships or if this one was better if I had that spouse or this kid or that thing man then life would be way more enjoyable or exciting and God says I've given you eternal purpose in knowing and enjoying and sharing about God in your workplace in your relationships in every aspect of who you are we wouldn't be so bored if this was our Jesus we wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't be such a coward if I knew this was my Jesus. I'd be loud and proud with the good news of the gospel, and so would you, man. This, we, we would be bold out there with good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. If this were your Jesus, you wouldn't be so sinful. I wouldn't be so sinful. Why? Not because we just say, Mom, I try harder. We'd realize how loved and embraced we are by our God. But we realize, oh man, even though I'm so sinful, he embraces me, so then I would love him I trust him, and when he says, hey, don't do this, I'd say, man, I love you and trust you. I, uh, you're right, I won't do that. Or when he says, do this, we'd say, I love you and I trust you so much, I, I want to do that. It's because of grace of who he's made us that we would be, be compelled into holiness. You and I, we wouldn't be so flimsy in our faith if this were our Jesus. So why are we? Why are we all these things? <laughs> why are we cowards so often? Bored, sinful, anxious. Well, I think it's because of this. We settle for a subpar Savior who's no Savior at all. It's not our Jesus. Uh, 
Tony Campolo uh, puts it this way. Sometimes he'll say to somebody who's rejected Jesus or, or even a believer who's following Jesus for a little while but then throws in the towel and says, forget it. He'll say, well, well tell me about the Jesus you rejected. Or he'll say, uh, tell me about the Jesus you're now throwing the towel in on. Tell me about that Jesus. And then someone will explain, well, you know, Jesus, he's, he's so, you know, holy and good and it's not me and I'm not and and I know he's just so, he's not pleased with me at all. And I, so I just, or that Jesus, he's never done anything for me. And, and I, don't, I don't even know why I'm following him. And, and, and Tony Campolo would say, hey, that's not, I would reject that Jesus too. <laughs> that's not the real Jesus. That's a subpar Savior. You, you're misunderstanding. See, Jesus isn't here to kind of make you a nicer, better person and say, yeah, come along. You can be a little bit nicer today than you were yesterday. Or, yeah, come to church every once in a while. That's what being a, a Christian and Jesus is all about. No, he's come to change your whole life. You, you, you and I, we were cast out to hell. And he says, welcome into heaven. Yeah, we were orphans and alienated. He says, come be a son or a daughter. Why? Because of everything he did, nothing that you did. And he says, that's your Jesus. He has given you life and life to the full. Maybe you're misunderstanding who this Jesus is. I think we misunderstand. Or we just overlook. Oh, Jesus says he gives life and purpose, but I'm going to overlook him. I think I'll find more life and purpose in my job. Not, not finding his eternal purpose at work and serving him and working with excellence or creativity there for him, but actually I'll find purpose, I'll find security, I'll find validation in my job. And therefore, I'll have the life that I'm after, and, and that's not our Savior either. Our job falls way short of our Savior. Or we might be sinful, cowards, anxious, bored, and lonely because simply we're not tasting and seeing. We are, we're avoiding, we're not sitting with our Savior. We don't find ourselves in the scriptures knowing him, talking to him in prayer, listening, enjoying him in real relationship with our Savior. I want to give you a little process of how everything about who he is shapes everything about who I am and you are as we confess what is true of him and the lies we believe about ourselves. So if this is my Savior, then I am. That's how the phrase goes. And here's the process I want us to go through as we head towards communion here. The process is simply this. We, we confess the lie that we believe about ourselves. Then we confess what is true of him. And then we confess what is true of us because of what is true of him. Confess the lie of who I think I am. Confess what is true of who he is. And then confess what is true of who I am because of who he is. Uh, so let's do that in prayer now because we're all wrestling in this area of not being shaped by who our Savior is and who that makes us as His who are no longer alienated or hostile in mind but have actually been made sons and daughters presented blameless, holy, and pure, embraced by Him. Uh, so bow with me in prayer and go with me through this process. If this is my Savior, then I am. Now, Father, each of us want to come before you now and confess a different lie that we might be believing about ourselves. That we are alone in a certain struggle in our life right now. 
Maybe we believe the lie that we are weak or hopeless or rejected or guilty or shameful. Father, we bring that lie to you now and we name it. Father, now we confess what is true of who your Son is, the Son whom we want to rotate our whole lives around, reflect in our lives, and embrace as he's embraced us. God, we confess what is true of who Jesus is, that he is mighty, that he brings great hope of restoration and sovereignty and reconciliation, that, that he embraces us, that he's just, yet he's merciful, that he's present, he's not distant. God, each of us in the same area, we confess what is true of your son right now. And lastly, Father, now we confess what is true of who I am and who each of us are because we are in Christ, because he is our Savior. We are his sons and daughters. God, we confess what is true, that, that we are not hopeless. We have great hope. God, that we are not weak, but we are absolutely mighty in the resurrection power that dwells in us by His Spirit. That we are not alone, but we are embraced. God, we confess what is true of who each of us are. That we are not guilty and shamed, but we are blameless and pure. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who He is and what He has done. God, we confess what is true of ourself right now in Christ, with Christ. Father, with the glory of who your Son is, transform our lives today, this week, and the rest of the days we live here as we wait for his return. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this text here reveals who our Savior Jesus is. In a sense, that we call it his glory, right? Pulling back the curtain that we would see him clearly. Uh, but as we head into communion, uh, there's this you know, as Jesus is going to the cross, all through the book of John, he talks about how his glory is about to be revealed, how we're going to see him clearly as who he is, who our God is. All the glory and the glorification of God is about to take place. It's like the sun is rising, and you're starting to see it peek over the horizon, and the warmth and the brilliance, and it just reveals itself. And what happens is Jesus keeps talking about his cross as the glory of God. The revealing of who Jesus is, the revealing of who God is. Why? Because in the cross we see the great mercy of God and the might of God come together. We see the justice of God and the love of God come together in Jesus when we say, Oh my God! As he draws us into himself. That we would revolve our whole lives around him and reflect him in everything we do. That we, man, we receive him and rejoice over him. That we see his body was broken for you and for me and his blood was spilled for you and for me.
So if this is you this morning, take and eat as a remembrance of what Jesus has done and who your God is, who your Savior is, and rejoice over the fact of who you are because you are in Him and with Him. And if you've not yet received Him, don't take communion this morning, but instead talk to Him in prayer and receive Him. And take the free gift that you could enjoy relationship with the living God through Jesus. Let's take and eat together.